going to say it like you mean it. Merry Christmas. All right, there we go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we love you guys and so grateful for everybody who has decided to come and worship with us today and to sit under the teaching of God's Word. A lot of new faces in here. That's always a blessing. And so, uh, praise God. And I do trust that He will meet with us and minister to us through His Word. Amen. As we have gathered to give Him much glory. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Been gone for a few weeks, but uh, I'm glad to be back. It was cool to be in the Holy Land. Starting next week, I'll start showing some pictures, and uh, I'll break it up over the course of a few weeks, and uh, so that I can really pick out some good pictures and give a little bit of an explanation as to what was going on there, and I'm very delighted to do that. And we'll be going back next December. And so I just want to continue to let people know we're going, God willing, and if you want to go, we want you to go, so you've got a year to make plans for that. So if you have any questions, talk to me, and I will hopefully adequately answer all your questions. All right, well, enough of that. Let's turn our attention to the Lord and to His Word, amen? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a few right in front of you uh, down below in the chair. Feel free to grab one of those and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking very briefly at verses 1 through 20 today. It is my goal to do a record-setting short sermon today. And so I'm going to give it everything I got. Lots of kids in the room. I want to be uh, considerate of that. And so it's a blessing to have all the children with us. All right, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we love you so much. Thank you, God, that you first loved us. You have loved us in Christ. You have loved us completely, sacrificially. And we worship you, Father. Thank you that we are recipients of that glorious love. Praise you, Father. Thank you for all that this day represents, the coming of our Savior, that you would send your one and only Son for us so that we could know you, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and born again to know you in this life and to be with you in the next. Praise you, Father. I pray for myself and everyone in the room this morning that as we come before your word, that you would remove all the distractions of this life, that, Lord, you would open our hearts and our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things in your word, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, fill us with your goodness, fill us with your spirit, and above all, Lord, may you be glorified, worshiped, and praised as we humble ourselves before your living word. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, before we get into Luke, I just wanted to read a passage to us that I think makes for a good introduction to where we're going today. And it also ties in well with what Pastor Dan has been talking about over the last few weeks. And so in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, it's one of the most glorious of texts in the whole of the scriptures, one of, and it really deals with Jesus' condescension, Jesus' uh, going from heavenly glory to an earthly, lowly form, the form of a human, of a servant. 
And it actually begins in chapter 1 of Philippians 27. There's a theme here that Paul has and that the letter Philippians begins with and is that of unity, that of unity. And Pastor Dan has done a wonderful job dealing with the importance of unity in the last few weeks. So I'll kind of piggyback from there and then work uh, through Luke. So in verse 27 of Philippians 1, it says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come to you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul encourages the Philippian Christians not to strive against one another, but to strive side by side for one common goal, one common purpose, the furtherance of the gospel. Then he moves into chapter 2. And he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There it is again. And then he says, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So Paul admonishes them to have the same mind in themselves that was in Christ. And not to consider their own needs solely, but also be very considerate of the needs of those around them. And that's the recipe for unity. Not being so much concerned about what is good for me and what helps me and what makes me happy, but considering the well-being of others. Now Paul gives the most amazing example of this that has ever been known or ever will be known, and it is that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The ultimate picture of humility. One who went from the highest place to the lowest place for us to meet the greatest need in this world, to be saved, to be redeemed, to be connected back to God from our fallen state. And Paul describes it like this who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So our Savior, our King Jesus, has existed in eternal glory as the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And though He dwelt in this heavenly glory, He didn't cling to it. He did not grasp at this, but He set it aside. He emptied Himself. He took on the form of a human. He took on human nature. He became truly human, truly God, and He lived a life, an earthly life of perfect obedience to God's law, to his own earthly parents. And then he went on to die the most horrific death imaginable, the death of the cross. And he did that for us. That was our penalty, the penalty that we should pay placed upon Jesus Christ. Truly, he went from the highest place to the lowest place. Who has humbled themselves more than our Savior and our humble King, Jesus? But you know what? It didn't end there. God didn't leave His Son there. He has, because of His obedience, exalted Him back to the highest place. And it says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so there it is. Jesus went from heaven to earth back to heaven. That's the incarnation. Jesus became a man. Jesus became a man. He felt the hurt, the pain that we feel. He experienced all that. He experienced temptation, yet without sin. And then he died a rebel's death, a sinner's death on our behalf so that we would not have to know punishment and torment and separation from God. He drank the cup of God's righteous wrath for us. Amen? And that's what we celebrate on Christmas, the coming of our Savior. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And I just really want to emphasize the humility. God is just not like us. It's amazing. If we were to write the story, we would have written it so very differently. And so I think that's one of the things that really pops out to us in the Christian story, especially as we consider the Christ child, is just the humility of it all. And the way in which God brought his son into this earth and the way in which he left this earth. It's amazing. And so with that, I want us to consider the birth of Christ today. And so that brings us to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And so as we look at these uh, 20 verses briefly, I'm going to break it up into three points. Three points. And so the first point, and there's nothing fancy here, but just to help us kind of summarize what we're looking at. The first point, Caesar's decree and God's divine plan. Those are two things that we see happening here simultaneously. And so look with me at verses 1 through 3. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, I just want to make a quick note of this. Caesar is mentioned. We'll talk more about him in a moment. <clears throat> Quirinius, the governor, the census that was taken. I think that this is a very subtle hint uh, given us uh, by the Holy Spirit that, look, these things are historical events. This is not once upon a time in a land far, far away and they lived happily ever after kind of stuff. One commentary says, Luke clearly tells us that he recorded actual history and real events. This is not once upon a time. These are not fanciful stories of Zeus and Apollo on Mount Olympus. This is real. And so we have a historical faith, brothers and sisters, a historical faith. These things actually happened at a real time and place. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we are in the lineage of all of these things that God has done and has continued to do to this very hour. Is that amazing? It's amazing. Here we are. There it began, and here we are today. Well, as I had already mentioned, this Caesar, this may be one of the most impressive men to have ever lived. He was certainly considered to be one of the greatest leaders ever, and perhaps at that point one of the most powerful men on earth. He ushered in the golden age of peace for Rome, the Pax Romana, and did I say that right? Okay. And uh, just on and on and on I could go about all that he did for the furtherance of Rome. He was an impressive man, an extremely powerful man. Look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So now this is the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, and yet God was working and moving even him because God had a plan. God had a plan that was so much bigger than Rome, bigger than Caesar, and Caesar was essentially a palm in God's hand. Amen? Did I say that right? A, pa- a pawn. I said a palm. A pawn in God's hand, right? That's amazing to me. And we see this throughout the scriptures over and over and over. Everyone, there are no rulers on this earth who are mightier than God himself. Amen? They are subservient to him, to his will, to his plan. See, the thing is, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem because the word of God said so. The word of God said so. But Mary and Joseph, they were from Nazareth. At least they lived in Nazareth. Well, there's a prophecy back in Micah 5.2. And it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And so this is clearly a prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And everybody knew this. When the wise men came to Herod in Matthew chapter 2 to inquire about the king, they saw the star. Herod was startled. He went to his wise, he went to his, uh, the chief priests and the scribes and asked them about this, and they quoted Micah 5.2 to him. Everybody knew this. So it had to go down that way. And so in God's providence and God's working on the world stage and God bringing his redemptive plan to pass, He used Caesar to put this census in place to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so the Christ could be born just as it was foretold. That is amazing to me. I love that about God. God works providentially. Now, this is massive. This is world stage kind of stuff. But you have to consider God works in individual lives much the same way. These were real people, Mary, Joseph, real people with real struggles and hard times, and God was moving just as much in their lives individually as he was moving on a world stage redemptively. And I don't know about you, that's a real comfort to me. That is a real comfort to me. We serve that God. Because God sent his son Jesus into the world to be our Savior and to bring us back to God, we are in God's loving, providential, kind care. He leads us. He guides us. He shapes our lives. The Bible says that He works all things together for good. Praise God for that promise. I lean on that promise quite a bit. God works all things together for good. God is sovereign, he's providential, he's loving, he's kind. And even the kings, even the king's hearts are turned by God like channels of water. Amen? Well, it says in verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So this inn, what is this all about? Now, this could have, could have been 
something like a, a sketchy hotel, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. It wouldn't be a very desirable place when travelers would come into town and they didn't have any options. There was nobody to share or to give hospitality to them. They would stay in one of these places, but believe me, it was not desirable at all. This could also be... Um, I've seen the cliff notes in certain translations that say guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room, which would make sense because, as I said, hospitality was a big deal, big deal over there. It still is. And so Joseph, being from Bethlehem, undoubtedly would have had family there, and it would have fallen on them to put Joseph and Mary up. But right now, Bethlehem is swelling because all of these people, everybody who had been born there who was still alive, had to go back there for this census. So undoubtedly, their families had already put many people up, and there was nowhere for them to go except perhaps out in the barn, right? Or wherever the, the animals were kept at this point. And so that certainly seems to be what's going on here. But there's something else that might be happening here. And this is very fascinating to me, and I wanted to, to share it with you. Some, in particular, one, one gentleman named um, Alfred Edershein, he believes that what this, this place is where Jesus was born, this manger, was actually something known as the Tower of the Flock. Has anybody ever heard of this before? The Tower of the Flock, or the Migdal Ader. Migdal Ader. Um, if you were going to pronounce it, I guess, the way it's supposed to be pronounced, it would be Adair or something like that, but I'm a, I'm a country boy, I'm from the south, and it's Ader, okay? We say Ader. In fact, that reminds me, um, I was thinking about this, this is weird, kind of a squirrel situation, I guess, but my, my aunt's name is Ader, and we used to call her Aunt Ader, and then we had Aunt Opus and Mama Inus. Now, if that ain't country, I don't know what is, and so every time I hear that, I think, oh, Aunt Ader. Anyways, the Migdal Ader, the Tower of the Flock. There's another verse in Micah, same, same place that prophesied of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. It says this, And you, O Tower of the Flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall pass, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Some believe that this is a prophecy that Jesus was born in the Tower of the Flock. Now, what is that? Well, that would have been the place where the Passover lambs were born and bred for the Passover sacrifice. And we know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Amen? He died for our sins. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Passover lamb. He was crucified on Passover. And so it just fascinates me to consider that perhaps he was even born in this manger, in this very place where the, the Passover lambs were born and bred. And they would wrap these, the, the lambs in swaddling cloths to keep them from scratching themselves because they had to be a perfect, spot-free sacrifice, no blemish. And so where did these swaddling cloths come from that Jesus was wrapped in? Very possibly from the Migdal Ader, the Tower of the Flock. And so I just think that's very fascinating to consider, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. But you know, on another side of this, I can't get past this little line, there was no room for Jesus in the end. There was no room for him. And can I tell you something? 2,000 years later, there is still a lot of people, they don't have room for Jesus. No room for him. 
right? No place for Jesus in their lives. And even if they do ask Jesus into their heart, as it were, into their lives, that only goes so far. There are certain rooms, if you will, certain areas that Jesus is not allowed to go into, not allowed to access. And so I ask you, do you have room for Jesus in your life? Do you know Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to be your Savior, to be your King, to be your Lord? If you have, have you allowed Jesus full access into your heart, as it were, into every space, every area of your life? I hope your answer is yes. And if it is not, today can be the day. Today can be the day. Amen? Well, this brings us to the second, second thing that we see here, and that is the, the angel's joyful announcement of the arrival of the Savior. The angel's joyful announcement of the arrival of the Savior. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now this is, uh, this is also interesting. It's just something I wanted to point out here. It says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. In the Old Testament, there are several places where we see this very, very interesting figure. He's known as the angel of the Lord. You've heard me talk about this before. And we believe this to be a Christophany in the Old Testament, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And he's always called the angel of the Lord. You see some really fascinating things that the angel of the Lord does. And, and angel means messenger. That's one of the renderings of it. He was the messenger of Yahweh, which makes sense because Jesus is the word of God, John 1.1, 1, 1, right? He is the very communication of God, the very word of God. He was the messenger of God. But here, now, we see an angel of the Lord. So I wonder what happened to the angel. Well, we know he's been born. The pre-incarnate Christ, second person of the Trinity, the angel of the Lord, if you will, has now been born into humanity. And so the, uh, an angel of the Lord appears to them to give them this message. Very interesting stuff. And so the birth of Jesus is revealed to shepherds. That's very interesting because shepherds at this time especially, they were considered the lowest of society. They were uneducated, they were isolated. They were always out with the sheep. And it is amazing to me that the angel would appear to these shepherds. Of all the people that they could have appeared to, could have appeared to Herod, to any you know, big mover and shaker in Rome, to the religious elites of that day, they, he appears to these angels out in the middle of nowhere. I meant to show you a picture of this today. Please forgive me, but... I got to go to the field that they think could be in Bethlehem, the field where this took place. There's a lot of um, open caves in the field where shepherds will keep their sheep. Remember I talked about the door of the pen and the shepherd would usually sleep in the doorway. You could totally see how that would be. And I got to see the, the shepherds out in the field even today uh, walking and the sheep were following them. And uh, it was an interesting thing to behold. And so... I'll show you some pictures of that at a later date. So anyways, the birth of Jesus is revealed to these, if I may, these nobodies. 
Now, I think it could be significant that Jesus himself is the good shepherd. Amen? And so, in a sense, he's identifying with shepherds. So, these shepherds are given the privilege to see this magnificent sight and to be given this wonderful news that the king has come. It could be that there's uh, an identification happening there. I think it could also be very much this idea that he who is the highest over all has revealed himself to those who would be the lowest. The, lowest. the king of glory who himself dwelt in heaven has now come to the lowest place and has been revealed to those who hold the lowest place. And that to me is amazing. It just communicates this humility. Jesus is the humble king. Amen? He is the lowly king. And he says, come to me, all you who are burdened, who are carrying heavy burdens, you who are weary and weak, and I will give you rest, for I am humble in spirit. Amen? A humble king. God loves humility. His son modeled perfect humility in his life and in his death. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So there is good news of great joy. I love that. You know, the gospel, the word means good news. That's what gospel means. Good news, glad tidings. Good news has been brought into a dark and desperate and dying world. We who are all sinners against a holy and a good God, who are dead in our trespass and sin, who are separated and under the judgment of God, Christ has come. Christ has come to wipe the slate clean, as it were, to remove our sin from us forever, to be our mediator between God and us as our great high priest. And that is good news. That is good news. you got to know the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. And the bad news is that all of us stood justly condemned before a holy God and would suffer eternal consequences for that. And so the good news is that Christ the Savior has come. Amen? And that's exactly what they say. That's exactly what they say. This day is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus has come to save. Amen? Our God is a saving God. And so Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He is the King. He is the Master. He is the one to whom we must bow our hearts and our knee. Amen? He must be both Lord and Savior. Some people want a Savior. That sounds great. You know, get out, get out of hell free card. You know, I, I want my sins forgiven. Of course, who wouldn't? But not many people want a Lord. Not many people want to sign up for that. One that they have to follow. One that they have to obey and serve. But for those of us who have trusted, we know what sweeter way could there be than to have Jesus as your Lord. Man, what sweeter life could there be than to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and to follow His commands and to worship and obey Him? 
I would never trade that away for the life that I had before him. Because, you know, I did have another Lord in my life, Satan. Satan was my Lord. Anyone who looked at my life could see that plain as day. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we're not submitting to something, that we're not in bondage to someone, that we're not slaves to something. We were slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, but Christ came to set us free from that hopelessness and that darkness and to bring us into the light and to make us children of the light, amen, and to be servants of His forever. So praise God for Christ, the Savior, who is Lord, amen. And then they say that there's a sign for you, a baby wrapped in claws, swaddling claws in a manger. That's interesting to me um, because they're about to see this amazing sight of all of these angels worshiping and praising, yet the sign given them from God is a baby wrapped in swaddling claws in a manger. And so isn't that, isn't, that's kind of interesting to me that uh, it's not wait till you see what's getting ready to happen. You're about to see these innumerable multitude of angels praising God. Instead, it's, no, you're going to see this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's interesting to me. And so for this reason, I just think that, you know, wherever Jesus was born and laid, it had to be out in a place where people would see this and see this baby laying there, you know. And so, again, I think that kind of speaks to that original idea of the, the tower of the flock. But anyways... Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there is this innumerable multitude of angelic hosts, we're told. And the idea there, it's almost like an angelic army. It's kind of military language. And they are praising God, and they are saying, glory to God in the highest. This is what will bring God more glory than anything else in the world, in the universe, throughout all the ages, is His Son. His Son dying, rising again, and bringing an untold multitude of sinners to God, saving them from their sins and bringing them back to God. Glory to God in the highest there is no greater miracle that can take place in this world than to see a lost, unregenerate sinner be brought to life. Amen? To be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, restored back to God. That is what brings God glory. So glory to God for what He has done in bringing His Son to this earth. And then they say, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now some translations say goodwill toward men. And I, I think this is the preferred rendering, and I like this because it says, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, there was a time when God had no pleasure with us, no pleasure whatsoever, because we were sinners separated from him. But through Christ, as we are born again, born of the Spirit, and we have Christ's merit in our lives... God is well pleased. If you're in Christ, God loves you. He's well pleased with you. Your sins are forgiven and removed, and God delights in you. And so they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. We didn't have this peace. Before Christ, we had no peace. We might have had something that resembled it, something that the world calls 
peace. The world's peace is very different than God's peace. The world's peace is kind of like just a, an absence of turmoil, right? Nothing bad is happening right now, and so that's peace. But God's peace is so much more. God's peace is kind of like uh, when all things are as they should be. Uh, another way of putting it is it's that which makes for good. All things are present in your life. God's, God's love, God's blessing, God's provision, God's care, God's wisdom. All of that is present. That brings true peace in this life. Amen. No matter what's going on around us, we can have God's peace. And that's exactly what these uh, angels announce, that there is peace among those with whom God is pleased. Having been forgiven, having been justified, having been restored to God, we have peace. Amen? And that's what we celebrate. Peace has come. When we, see the, when we consider the Christ child having been born into this world and we know the end of the story, we know what he, his life will ultimately fulfill, that brings us peace, God's peace. Peace with God, peace in God, the peace of God. Amen? Jesus said, peace I bring you, not as the world gives do I give you, but I give you my peace. All right, let's wrap this up. Number three, the shepherds praise God for the fulfillment of his word. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so I just want to make the simple point. It, the Lord told them, the Lord told them, it says, let us go and see what has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And now they go and they see it exactly as it had been told. And they tell everybody what had happened and the people are amazed by this. And Mary treasures these things in her heart, but they glorify God. They praise God because his word came to pass. Amen. That's our confidence. That's our hope. God's word stands. It comes to pass. God said it. You can count on it. Take it to the bank. God said that he would make things new, that he would make a way where there was no way, that he would bring streams into the desert, that he would make dry bones live, that he would make dead men and women live. And he has done that through his son, Jesus Christ. God entered into humanity. Imagine that. So many people live with this idea that God is totally disconnected, uninterested, far removed. He has no concern, no care, no love. But our God is not that at all. He's absolutely concerned, such that he would pay a price like that. Such love that he would sacrifice his own son, his only begotten son for us who were rebels against his goodness. Amen? And God's word came to pass. He said that he would send his son. He did. And we know that his son is going to come back one day. And we look forward to that. Just as surely as Christ came 
and redeemed us to himself, he will return. And we celebrate that as well. Amen? All right, well, we'll close right there. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your living word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes your word come to life for us. Thank you for everybody here today who has come to celebrate the birth of Christ. Father, we praise you. Be glorified, be honored, be exalted. We praise you, Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And we want to thank you so much for coming. Is it on? I'm not sure. This is on Christmas Day, and I just wish, very sincerely wish you a very blessed Christmas Day with your, with, with your, with your families. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.